everyone and welcome once again to Yorkshire Gamer Podcast and episode 48 of this ongoing series. And today I am going to be talking with Peter Thompson from Pro Art Brushes. Uh, but before the interview, a little bit of housekeeping as usual. And I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in to the last episode, the David Manley one on Naval War Gaming. And uh, it had Quite a lot more viewers, uh, listeners, uh, should I say, uh, than I thought, as uh, Naval Wargaming normally sends anything I do down the pan in terms of uh, viewer figures. Uh, so I hope uh, perks your interest in a bit of Naval Wargaming. Uh, and if you're already into the blue cloth, uh, as we say, you know we're on the right track when it comes to uh, Wargaming on the Blue Bays. This episode will be going out on the 6th of October, Friday the 6th of October, a couple of days before the other partisan show in the UK, and I shall be attending that show in a general punter capacity, and I'll be wearing my uh, bright blue Yorkshire Gamer uh, polo shirt so if you enjoy the show uh, if you want to have a chat by all means come up and uh, have a quick word don't be afraid i shall not bite and uh, it be, it's always lovely to speak to people who listen to and enjoy the podcast so i shall be uh, there most of the day i've got to get back and get to work uh, for early evening but uh, i look forward to speaking to you as many uh, as possible as i can at the show my own uh, Germantown game that I mentioned in the last episode is uh, moving on nicely. Uh, I've started work on a lot of the terrain, just finishing bits and pieces off on that. My British Army is now um, needed some topping and tailing. That's all done. It's all put away in really useful boxes, ready to be carried. Uh, just ordered a load of flags from Ian at Flags of War for my Americans. I'll be picking those up on Sunday. And uh, I've done a little bit of the base work that uh, I need to do on those Americans. And unfortunately, my... Um, Static grass applicator broke or didn't work, so I've had to send that back, but it's, uh, I'm reassured that it's on my way back to me, so that will be everything I need to sort the bases for that. So, it's on to the interview then, and uh, it's a lot shorter than normal, uh, different format to normal, we're not, you know, it's not the normal four parts that we would normally have, very similar to the uh, Papal Zouave uh, podcast I did with Nick Schofield a while back, and if you haven't listened to that, please do so. It really is a good, informative episode, and Nick is a lovely guy. Uh, very enthusiastic about his subject, and uh, I, I encourage you to listen to that. Um, so, Peter, exactly the same. This is about paintbrushes, so if you don't like paintbrushes, you're not interested in paintbrushes, this might not be the episode for you. Um, but if you've wondered how they're made, what they're made of, the different shapes, the handles, the processes that go into making them, and a general all-round geeky hour and 20-minute chat about paintbrushes, this is for you. I'd like to thank Peter once again for his time. Uh, you know, he's a busy man. He's got a big business, international business to run, and I'm very grateful that he set aside an hour and a half for me to just sit down with him one Friday afternoon. Um, this has been in the can for a little while, as I, I mentioned in the last episode, work and personal stuff has stopped me getting stuff out, but it's here now. So sit back with your, your Yorkshire tea, your biscuit of choice, put your feet up and uh, listen to me and Peter getting all 
gooey-eyed about paintbrushes. Without further ado, here's an interview. Well, welcome once again, everyone, to the interview section of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast. And today we've got on our bike and we've come over to one of my favourite places in the world, and that's Skipton. And I'm going to actually sit down with today's guest and, and have a chat in person. We've had a brew already, so things are going really well. Uh, regular listeners will have heard me banging on about pro art brushes since the very first episode nearly three years ago. They've been my go to brush for the majority of my painting life. I remember first discovering them in an art shop called Dinsdale's on King Charles Street in Leeds in the late 1980s and haven't looked back since. Today I'm sat in the, uh, uh, the offices of ProArt with the main man, Peter Thompson, and we're going to be having a chat about all things paintbrush and all things ProArt. So Peter, welcome and thank you kindly for taking the time to talk to us today. That's fine, it's an absolute pleasure. Lovely, thank you very much. And you've not done anything like this before, you were telling no, me. No, this is a bit of a first for me, is this? So oh, I'm sure I, it'll be interesting. I thought you'd be a media superstar and been on Look North <laughs> and everything. And... Hardly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So just, just to set the picture then, what's your role here at, uh, at ProArt? Well, I'm the company director and, uh, yeah, well, pretty much look after the whole thing. We've got people uh, uh, sort of underneath us running offices and I've got my son who's joined the company. Uh, but, yeah, I sort of carry the business on from, from where my father left off. He started it back in 1973, so this is suddenly our 50th year. It is, yeah, I've just realised that, it is. Uh, and uh, your dad was Roy, is that right? Roy Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so tell us a little bit about Roy. How did he get into the art world and, and start making brushes? He got into the art world because he was... Uh, basically enjoyed painting as a youngster and he was very good at art and uh, as he progressed through school uh, he realised that was something that he wanted to be involved mm. in but being a professional painter is very difficult it's only a few that make it so he wanted to have a career involved in art materials or, or art in some way and he subsequently joined Windsor & Newton okay who yeah. were the, you know, seen as the sort of classiest act in the mm. trade, yeah. you know, back in the day. And uh, he spent 20 years with Windsor and & Newton. Mm. And he, basically his role with Windsor's was a, a, the sales manager. Back in the day, you know, you got a job and uh, people move from job to job quite freely these days. But back in those days, you got a job. And it was you a stayed with a company for life, didn't you? Perceived yeah, as yeah. a job for life, yeah. and and that's what he that's what he, he wanted, and he wanted to work his way up the ladder. And back in the day, Windsor and Newton would invest in you as well, uh, because he told me stories that he'd been involved in in you know factory production mm. before you let they let you loose on the road <laughs> yeah. visiting art shops. Yeah. You had to have a deep proper knowledge of the of the product, so. You know, you spent a year in the the colour factory and in different yeah. parts of parts of the company, so that 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 was where he sort of began. And how did he then progress from working for Windsor and Newton to starting Pro Art? Well, he was a good salesman, was he? <laughs> and uh, he had aspirations, possibly t to be their sales manager. Yeah. And 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 it, that never arrived, and I think he got very frustrated with that yeah. because he 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 would tell me stories that he'd come up with various ideas for displaying products and mm. and, and marketing things, 
and and some of his ideas were sort of brushed under the carpet mm. and uh, he sort of got to a point where he reached sort of early middle age and thought well hang on uh, I'm not really progressing anymore and mm. that was maybe because he was such a good salesman yeah and he was a very good salesman very persuasive and he would be valuable to that company in that role wouldn't exactly he? Yeah. exactly he covered a big area it was the whole of the north of England and he was very good at his job so so yeah you know that that situation was he he sort of reached a brick wall where yeah. he thought perhaps that's that's the end of the road so he thought right okay you know if we're going to progress further then you get on your bike and you do it yourself yeah. and uh, that's that's really you know how, how that part of the story sort of did the company start in Skipton or did it start elsewhere? No, it started elsewhere. Back in the day, uh, we, we used to live in Leeds. Okay. Uh, Temple Newsom. Temple Newsom, near, near yeah. Whitkirk. Yeah, yeah, Whitkirk in Leeds. And uh, he had a big bungalow and he kitted the loft out. Yeah. And that was his packing room. Oh, fantastic. Back in the day, we didn't manufacture products because when, he, when you first start out, he didn't have that knowledge of, of manufacturing. Mm. So uh, he did have contacts within the trade and he managed to, to source good, high quality products from a couple of companies in the UK. One of them was based in London and they used to provide him with all his high quality soft hair brushes, yeah. the sable and squirrel brushes. Mm. Company up in Newcastle provided him with the sort of cheaper craft side of things, yeah. uh, more the educational type of product. Mm. And it was a very basic range back in those days, mm. back in the early 70s. Synthetics hadn't hit the marketplace. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fairly simple, straightforward line of product that, that, that he managed to procure and, and off he went selling them. So uh, his first area was his old customers <laughs> in the north of England yeah. who would then say to him, well, you've always told me that Windsor & Newton products are the best in the world. Now you're telling me your products are the best yep. in the world. So that's where he had to be very persuasive once well, again. I think he's done a good job over the years. He's done a good job. He's done a good <laughs> But that, that's the thing when you're a salesman. You're yeah. selling a product, but you're selling yourself. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd managed to build up this wonderful rapport with yeah. many of his long-standing dealers. You know, he'd been covering that territory for 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And people knew him and people liked him and uh, so he built up this great relationship with people and uh, so for him selling throughout the north of England was relatively easy it was it was breaking into the rest of the country that was more difficult mm. so how did uh, young Peter then obviously heavily influenced by your dad were you into art yourself was Strangely enough, as I say, it skips a generation. No, not 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 particularly very good at drawing or painting or anything. Yeah, like you know, from that sort of creative angle. Yeah. But you know, I've always been very practical. Yeah. And I saw my father build a business from scratch, going through various highs and lows. Mm. And you, you, as a youngster, I just had that feeling that I wanted to be involved in it myself. And uh, yeah, from, from a, a young age, you know, I used to help out in the packing room and mm. uh, just being part of it. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I watched my father, he used to take me out doing sales calls. Oh, right, wow. So it was something that, you know, I had that feeling that I wanted to emulate him. Mm. Uh, uh, so yeah, that, that's really how I sort of 
came into the business. Mm. But I did, uh, I, you know, I wasn't particularly academic. You know, I was uh, ended up, I think, with three old levels. And a, <laughs> but I did manage to get, I stayed on into the sixth form, managed to get myself an A level. Oh, in, excellent! In oh. woodwork, which 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 I enjoyed massively. And, yeah. and and as I say, you know, that's been my my thing. You know, the the practicality mm. of it, and and that's that's where the manufacturing sort of mm. started because you know without me joining the business we may never have been manufacturing products ourselves yeah. uh, and and if you want a bit of a story behind that that mm. all came about probably by a stroke of luck yeah my father always recognized that uh, it would be important for us rather than just be distributors buying in and selling out that that You've got to you've got to manufacture at some point to be taken very seriously. Mm. So that was always the chief goal. <clears throat> now, one of the companies that we uh, uh, used to buy the, the high end products from, mm. who were based in London, they actually went out of business. The business was run very badly. And anyway, at, at that point, at my I was about eighteen at the time, eighteen nineteen. It was in the early eighties, and. We took the opportunity. I'd already spent uh, six months up in Newcastle mm. with a different company learning how to make brushes. And they were quite happy to teach me because they thought that it would be two-way traffic uh, because uh, synthetics were coming onto the market. So mm. I, I was up there to, to, to learn, but to help them uh, develop the, the synthetic brushes. Mm. So. So I'd already learned basic brush making with mm. them, but when the the company down in London went went bust, uh, we employed some of their outworkers, mm. and it was at that point then I learned how to make real high quality traditional brushes, your sables, your mm. squirrels. They were already also making some sable nylon mixers, not very well. Yeah. But 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 the beauty is having been able to learn high-end sable and squirrel when you know how a good brush is made mm. it then paves the way for, for you to develop new products because you understand how a brush works and I suppose the other side of the coin is my father being a practicing artist he was mm. really more of an oil painter but he understood watercolor yeah. painting intimately as well so it was the perfect vehicle to develop products because mm. you know I was learning the difference between good quality and high quality and and and, and rubbish. And my father would put me straight, and, we'd, we'd, <laughs> and, 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 and we and, and we were in that situation where we could develop yeah. high end products. Fantastic, and and clearly starting. If we're year fifty now for for pro art, so you're clearly doing something right because <laughs> um, you're still here. Yeah. Um, and so, how did it? How did how did it develop from that packing in your dad's loft to where we are now in a million Skipton? <laughs> well, it's a number of stepping stones. You yeah. don't just suddenly start from a loft <laughs> and, and buy a three-story Yorkshire <laughs> mill. We moved, my father moved, uh, or my parents moved from uh, Leeds over to Sutton and Craven. Yeah. And uh, uh, we started in a very, very small way, uh, basically in, in an office block at the bottom of his garden. Just a couple of rooms, just making two or three ranges of sable brushes. Mm. And then we rented 
a property in Cross Hills by the railway line, and that was fun because every time, <laughs> every time the the truck from uh, Tilcon comes through, the whole building. Yeah. But we were there for nine years. Yeah. We signed a nine-year lease, and it did us proud. By the time we moved out, the whole place was packed to the rafters. Oh, brilliant! Uh, but but it did it did a good job, and in the intervening time, we saw Park Mill in Skipton. It came available back in the sort of mid nineties, uh, and we purchased that. I think it was 96 when we yeah. purchased it and we didn't move in right away we spent three years spending a lot of money uh, renovating it and, and kitting it out and modernizing mm. it and making it just right for what what we mm. wanted and normally a lot of people don't want an old building like a Yorkshire mm. mill uh, but it's with a great deal of pride that we accommodate this building because it's it's you know it was a traditional woolen spinning mill and um, you know uh, making a handmade yorkshire mm. product and essentially that's what we're now doing we're making yeah. a, a handmade product you know we've got various machines that will help us you mm. know do do various tasks within brush mm. making but to all intents and purposes it's it's still a handmade product that we're producing here so you know i feel very proud that we've been able to utilize a good mm. old mill yeah, a classic historical building within yeah. classic historical town. It's great. It's great to see it in use. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of old mills, as you know, they've either gone to rack and ruin or they've been turned into posh flats or whatever. Well, the staff love it. The staff love it because <laughs> it's just it's just a five minute walk into town. Yeah. Whereas if we were on an industrial park, mm. uh, then then you're out of it. Well, so, some good some good fish and chip shops within five minutes walk from here. Isn't absolutely, there? <laughs> that's the thing about there's something about <laughs> this area. Uh, yeah, the the, the the fish and chips are phenomenal. I'll go to Whitby, I'll go to Scarborough. You get fish and chips, and the, and it's disappointing. They're just full of skin and bone. Oh God, yeah. Well, there's the little one just down here on the end, Westmoreland Street. Westmoreland yep. Street, yeah. Yep. That is that is a that's a belter. One of the best fish and chips I've ever had. Well, Andrew on Newmarket Street, yeah. he cooks them fresh. When you yeah. walk in the shop, he'll, he'll ask what you're having. Is that Newgate Fisheries? New, Newmarket, Newmarket Fisheries. Newmarket Fisheries, yep. Andrew, I'm just trying to think of his second name. I can't think of it now. Uh, terrible with names, but brilliant fish yeah. and chips there. We always end up talking about fish and chips on this podcast. And then so we've got worry. two busy Lizzies in town as well. Yeah. We can't move for fish and chip <laughs> shops. <here. laughs> and they're all they're all decent as well. They're yeah. all decent. They're not a bad one in there. So yeah, perfect location. Perfect location. So um, you, you kind of alluded to it there. Everything happens here. Your manufacturing, your store and your distribution. It does. All from this location. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was it was bought with the future in mind, and it seemed a, a gulf of a building when we first moved yeah. in, and yet we filled it uh, as you do, you tend to do. So yeah, it works very very nicely for mm. us. As I say, a three story mill. We've got the the work area on the top floor. We've got most of the storage uh, on the middle floor, and we've got all the finished goods on the and the mm. packing on the yeah. the ground floor. So yeah, as I say, there's a there's a there's a lift shaft in there with a working lift, so that's great. We can get goods up and down. And because it's light industry, yeah. then it doesn't need to be on one level. It works beautifully on three floors, yeah. so it does a really good job for us. Excellent. Um, so, not wanting to give any company secrets away, or as we go through all this, because later on we'll talk about brush development and stuff. Um, so, sales then, are you 
going to art shops, model shops, how does the sales process work? Do you have an online direct sales? How do you work? We don't, we like to support all our dealers and the yeah. way we support all our dealers is that we don't sort of cut the throat and go direct. Right. We, we have a website, gone are the days of having catalogues. You print them and the moment you print them, they're, they're out of date. Yeah. We have a, 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 a website which we can update whenever we want, and mm. that keeps, it, it, there's a dealer area, so dealers can download price lists and order forms and that side mm. of it, and the rest is informational for the end user, so yeah. that's the way it works. We don't, we don't sell direct. Yeah. What we do, we, we, we support our dealers. We've got a number of art shops, not as many as we used to have, but uh, we've got art shops that cover the country, mm. and 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 that's that's what we do. We manufacture brushes to support to to support mm. the art shops yeah. through a number of displays that yeah. that we have. You know, I have to say, from being a customer, there's not many art shops I go into in the UK where there isn't a pro art stand with all the stuff there. So you've clearly got a, a good grasp of the market with, with the art shops. Um, we were talking just before we started about model shops and they've kind of, a lot of them have closed down, haven't they? Which they've, is a real shame. Yeah, they've disappeared, they've disappeared. And it is a shame. But this, this, the same thing has happened in the art trade, but to a lesser degree. I think the thing with art materials, it's a sort of tactile product that people still want to go around a shop and choose the products that they want. There's there's a vibe and a feel and a smell about the place. Yeah. And art shops are quite special. And most art shops have never been right in the centre of town. They've mm. usually been on the periphery. So although we have lost a lot of art shops over the years, then the ones that are left are, are, are working harder and, and probably mm. doing as well as they've ever done, if not better, because to retail these days, yeah. you've got to be switched on. Many, many of them have their own websites, which augment some of the mm. sales. And then you've got the other side of the coin that you've got, we've got a number of bespoke mail order mm. dealers who are, who are selling art materials purely online. Yeah. So when, when shops close, then usually some of that business will be hoovered up by some of the mail order dealers. So thankfully it doesn't disappear. But it, it has been a bit soul-destroying to watch a lot of shops disappear by the wayside. Yeah. But, but yeah, to come to what you were saying about the model shops, we did look at this a number of years ago. Mm. We realised that suddenly there aren't many model shops left, left <laughs> yeah, anymore, all gone. which is a shame uh, because when I was a lad, there were mm. model shops everywhere. Yeah. I think the only real one that we supply is there's one in Leeds, Crossgates in Leeds. Yeah. I think it's called the Leeds yeah, Model Leeds, Shop yeah. or the Leeds Model Centre. Yeah. And that's a beautiful shop. It is. It's but they nice are shop. few and far between. Yeah. There's, a, there's a big one in Halifax, Halifax Model right. Shop. That's that's similar sort of thing to the Leeds one. But like you say, 20, 30 miles between shops where you would... I remember there used to be one on the old road coming over from Lancashire down Cowling. I can't remember whether it... I think there was. There was, there was a model shop up there years ago. There was a ago. model shop in Cone. Keith, yeah. Keith, they had a model shop. Yeah. But they've all disappeared. Yeah. So that's yeah. a shame. It's a, it's a it, shame. Is, it is a real shame. And I think, I think you, you said it a few moments ago, there's something about going into a shop to buy a brush. Um, and, you know, I might look at five brushes, all the same size, all the same make, all the same 
um, hair, and I'll pick one of them. Yep. And I want that one. That's right, but that's art materials in general. Yeah. And I think that's what stands us in good stead. People yeah. will always be creative to a degree. I mean, we watched the graphic industry disappear. Mm. Uh, very rarely do you get an art shop just purely run as an art shop. Mm. It's usually on the back of something, so it may be art and stationery. Mm. Uh, it may be art and, well, it used to be art and graphic. Many of the, the shops yeah. were art and graphic shops. And then as graphics went, then they'd replace the graphics with crafts. But yeah. computers came along and decimated traditional graphic mm. design. Yeah. So it, it all changed. But I, I touch wood, and I thank my lucky stars, that art in general should, and I, you know, you can never count your chickens, but mm. it should continue to thrive because people mm. will always want to be creative. Yeah. They'll always want to create and paint and, and do mm. different arts and crafts whatever it may be because that's that's what people want to do in their spare time mm. or many people want to yeah. do so hopefully it's something that won't die out um, so yeah i feel mm. very lucky because when we watch other industries disappear mm. and decline then it's quite sad yeah there's i think there's always an outlay for creativity and certainly from 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 my side of the wargaming hobby it, it would you would think that more people would game online, um, but there's something with the, the tactile nature of it, the fact that you're dealing with real things and you've got to prepare them and paint them. And there's, a, there's an area of love involved in, in it, if you like, rather than just switching on a computer and playing a game, you have to work Absolutely. To, to get there. So there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a process involved in that that I think will always be there. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. I think there'll be always a need for paintbrushes Good. <laughs> good. <laughs> Very good. Well, the other nice thing about painting is, yeah. you know, painting, as they say, art mm. is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. But the beauty of, of actually creating a painting mm. is that, that you're creating something unique. Yeah. You know, I've watched people do card making at craft shows mm. and you get 20 people around a table and by the time they've finished, they've all got this exactly the same thing. Yeah. I've watched 20 people follow an artist with all their own painting kit, and when they're finished, they've got all got completely they're different, different paintings. Yeah. So they're unique, and yeah. that's what the marvellous thing is. So whether it's good or bad, I've seen some amazing stuff, yeah. and I've seen some stuff that's... Uh, <laughs> I, I say to myself, well, I could have done better with my eyes shut, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not critical, and, yeah. and, and one should never be critical, because... People get an awful lot of enjoyment yeah, from painting it's, it's as well. It's not always about the end product, Absolutely, is it? but that's the thing. The it's, it's, it, you're creating something unique, and that's mm. the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, thanks for that potted history of the company. Yeah. That's very kind of you. Um, and gives all the listeners sort of an idea of pro art. And, and um, I'm going to move on now and, and get all geeky about brushes, if that's <laughs> all right. Yep, no, that's Because, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I... I as I said to you before we started the interview, I've been painting for a very long time and um, I was uh, doing a bit of research as I always do before I do these podcasts uh, and I'm going through the pro art catalogue and it's like, I've never heard of that. What's that? What does that do? So um, 
if you don't mind, we'll have a chat about the various aspects of, of brushes and you know what they're made of and how they're made, etc. Uh, from the very, very basics to a little bit more detail, just to give our listeners a, an idea of, of what actually goes into that thing that they're holding in the hand. Absolutely. And hopefully not accidentally dipping it in the Yorkshire tea rather than the water. <laughs> well, if they dip it in Yorkshire tea, it won't damage it, that's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. So... You talked earlier on about learning how to make brushes. Then, so what? What? Without going, not necessarily going into the materials. We'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But what's the process of making a, a brush? Then, how, what goes into it? Well, the, quite simply, the, the most important part of the brush is the hair that the, yeah. the brush is made from, because mm. that's the the product, the part of the brush that's doing all the work. So whether it's sable, squirrel, nylon, then. Proarty will try and procure the best mm. possible materials that, that we can. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean, f- what goes into making a brush? Basically, you've got the the, the metal ferrule part, yeah. which has to be filled with the correct amount of fiber. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever yeah. that fiber yeah. is. Once the correct amount of hair is selected, then it's up to the brush makers to produce that brush to a high standard, mm. which means that it's got to be shaped correctly. Yeah. If a brush isn't shaped correctly for the task that it's doing, mm. then it's really of no use. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the important part of, mm. of, of making a brush. And then the rest of it follows on. Yeah. Handles are printed, fixed to the brush heads. Mm. Everything's got to be, you know, we use glues and all sorts yeah. of things. But obviously the, 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 the business end of the brush is, mm. the, is, is the fiber and the way that brush has been put together. Yeah. So we'll talk about the the... the the, t- the types of brushes first then um so if you i'll just get a bit like a um a quick question thing i'll i'll shout one out and you tell me what it is and what it, it does okay um so i've written all these down so the a straight one a, a round brush then is that the one that we're all familiar with that's the one that everyone uses everyone will use a round brush yeah, yeah. because it's it's basically a, 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 in a round ferrule and it's a pointed brush. Yeah. Not all pointed. You can have mm. a sign writer's brush, brush that's got a flat tip yeah. because they wanted to do lettering yeah. work. But on the whole, most most brushes that you'll see are, are, are a round brush with a point yeah. on the end of them. So, And the idea of having a point at the end mm. is to be able to impart the paint in, in, a, in a different manner, i.e. using the very tip of the brush for a fine line and, and, and pressing harder so you can get a thicker line. Yeah. So the bigger the brush that can point, you've got a very versatile brush. That's that's the, the, the crux yeah. of it. So how, how are the points formed then? Are they obviously part of the manufacturing process, but how do you get them into that point? Well, we, we, we create the point in, in two ways, depending on the, the actual fibre. Mm. A sable or a squirrel hair brush is is, is uh, there's, a, there's a, a bulk of hair that's tied mm. and we use a special knot to tie the brush and it's rolled in the hands mm. or rolled in the fingers to create the point and right. it pushes the centre of the fibre out mm. to create a dome shape. And when you've got the right shape, then you tighten the knot, cut the back and put it into the ferrule. Yeah. And then once it's in the ferrule and pulled to the correct length, it will then go through a gluing process so that the hair is actually cemented mm. into the, the ferrule itself. The, the process is done slightly differently with a synthetic brush 
because the nature of the hair is different mm. and you can't tie it because it's a much harder fiber is synthetic. Mm. So we actually shape the, the synthetic fiber uh, within the ferrule. We drop mm. a certain, the, well, the right amount of hair mm. into the ferrule. Yeah. Once we've selected the right amount, we then put it into what we call a cannon, which is a shaped piece of wood or plast and, 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 and the hair will conform to the, the, the shaping at the base of the, mm. the cannon. Yeah. And we use a shaker machine which helps uh, drop the hair into, mm. into, into shape basically. Yeah. So, so, but the hair has to be shaped mm. to a point in order to make the brush work. So the, doing the sable by hand then, that sounds quite a skilled... It's very much a skilled job and yeah. it has to be a skilled job yeah. because sable hair is is a very expensive say, commodity. It's cheap, is it? If you're not careful, you can sneeze a thousand pounds worth of sable away. <laughs> it's like um, saffron with cooking, isn't it? That tiny Basically, little bit of saffron. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Worth a fortune. Yeah. It's not quite as expensive as gold, but yeah. we're not we're not, we're far, not far off. off. We're not far we're off. We're not far off. Yeah. So the um, is the the idea I believe is that the 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 point is where you paint with, and then the the round behind it is is kind of a store of, for paint, and it flows down into the point. That's pretty much correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now a sable brush will will look a little bit different to a synthetic brush because of the actual nature of the hair. Mm. Sable hair has what they call a belly, so yeah. it's got a little bit of a thicker part about two two thirds of the way down, mm. and that's what gives the sable its distinctive. Right sort of domed shape, it's like an Indian arch almost, mm. whereas a synthetic brush will come out of the ferrule pretty much in a straight line before it goes to a sharp point. Yeah. So a sable brush carries quite a lot more colour mm. than, than synthetic and yeah. that's, that's where, yeah, synthetic brushes are limited mm. uh, as opposed to the natural hairbrush. But we have improved them over the years, and mm. we may go into that yeah, a bit we'll talk, later. Talk about when we talk about um, the, the materials used. Yeah. Um, so what, one thing that is always discussed on painting forums that I'm involved in is, is when you're painting detail. Uh, and some people prefer a very fine brush, a 4 naught, 5 naught, 3 naught, whatever, really down the low end, whereas other people will use a, a bigger brush um, but with a finer tip. So is there anything from your company's point of view regarding that? Would you have a point of view on it? Well, from our point of view, we always try and create all our brushes to contain the best and the sharpest point that, yeah. that they possibly can. It's harder on a bigger brush. Yeah. The bigger the brush, the, 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 the more difficult it is to, mm. to maintain a very sharp point. Yeah. Hence, that this is why a lot of people will buy a, a, a little minute treble note, or we go down to a ten zero. Wow! In, in, in one of the <laughs> ranges, like two, hot, two hairs. Yeah, some people say they're great for painting eyes and things like which they are, <laughs> yeah. which which they are. Yeah. But personally, I've I've done a little bit of scale model painting, mm. and I can quite easily get away with a size zero. Yeah. Because I find that that brush will carry a little bit more colour than the than the ten zero. Yeah. So you're not having to dip in all the time. But as long as that brush has got a good point on, you should be able to get as, yeah. as fine a detail. It, 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 it's down to, <laughs> you know, some people... Personal will, preference. Some, yeah. It is personal preference yeah. because some people will argue that there is no substitute for a 10-0 for what they want to yeah. do. And, and I can understand that. 
But this is why we do a whole range of sizes. Coming back to sort of traditional, you know, watercolour painting mm. techniques, years ago when synthetics first hit the marketplace, you couldn't buy mega big brushes mm. because buying big sable brushes was far too expensive. Yeah. But we were able to develop a, a synthetic brush, big size 20, which, which would hold a lovely sharp point. And that was a painter's dream because they could almost use one brush to do a whole range of techniques. You can put a big background wash on mm. by just not using the point and not mm. worrying about the point. But if you dry that brush off a little bit, you've got a lovely point to work with. Mm. So they were doing you know, fine detail work with a very, very large brush. Yeah. So it's always been something that we've been aware of. It, it, it's, it's, it just makes a brush very versatile. Yeah. If, if, if you've always got a good sharp point yeah. on that brush. Um, so that's, that's rounds. Uh, flats, what are they used for? What, um... Pretty basic brushes of, of, of flats. Yeah. But, but flats are very useful. A lot of people will simply use a flat just for doing background blocking work, yeah. base coating. If the, the, the chisel edge part is very useful. A lot of people will paint landscapes, but within landscapes, you also get buildings. So the flat part of the brush is, is great because you can use that flat part to create brickwork mm. or to, to do background work up to straight edges. Yeah. So but, but in their own right, flat brushes are very, very yeah. useful. Yeah. It's, it, I, I've tended to use them, like you say, for big areas yeah. um, because they, they can hold a decent amount of paint and slap it on basically and get, yeah. it, get the coverage sorted out well that's where the point isn't as, as, as yeah. necessary because yeah. th and that's why but a big flat brush mm. you know a decorator will tell you it's it's the same sort of thing yeah. you, you know you're imparting as much paint as you can uh, depending on the size of that brush yeah. brilliant we're going right we're going a little bit more off piece now uh, a filbert a filbert is quite simple <laughs> yep Again, a landscape artist would yeah. use a filbert more. Very similar to a round, but again, it's a cross between a round and a flat brush. So where the point isn't quite as important, mm. but you don't want that sharp flat edge because again, within a natural landscape, you don't see many straight lines. Yeah. So that's where a filbert sort of covers that, mm. that middle ground. Uh, you can get a lot of color on, but you haven't got that sharp flat yeah. edge that you may not want. Is that is it more of an oil painting brush, a filbert? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, it, it tends to be. Yeah. The, the, there's a bit of a rule of thumb that within the watercolour, well, for watercolour painting, mm. the majority of painters will use a flat, uh, uh, sorry, a round, then a flat, then a filbert. Right. Oil painting's a little bit different. They tend to use flats, mm. first of all, and then a filbert, and then perhaps a round. Right. So... That's that's just the way the way it tends to be. It's certainly reflected in our sales, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something I, I have to say that I've never used. Um, and uh, a fan. Well, my just before we go on to the fan, fan yeah. my father used to say, "If you can't use a round, a flat, or a fill, but then there's something wrong with you." <laughs> I mean, nowadays there's yeah. this mass of of, of brushes, yeah. and and fans are one of them. There was a lovely gentleman called Terry Harrison who developed all sorts of brushes for doing mm. all sorts of different techniques. And that simplifies it and makes life a lot easier yeah. for a lot of artists. And, and it opens the door for, to a lot of painters. So mm. I embrace it. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. But the, coming back to the question, the yeah. fan brush, 
Again, as the name implies, it's a brush that's fanned out and it creates multiple points. Right. So that then enables you to do a multitude of things. Colour blending, because you're not, you're not blending one heavy colour mm. into another. Doing things like multiple lines, so fur on animals, mm. grasses. Ah, yeah, Some people that, stipple yeah. away with yeah. them and, and, and use them for tree foliage. Mm. I've seen... I've seen fan brushes used for many different yeah. things. So the, again, quite a versatile brush. Yeah. Well, that's good information because I was looking at them last night and going, "What the bloody hell would I use that for?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's I like that. That's a good one. Um, the rigger brush. The rigger. Well, have a guess. <laughs> it, it's. Uh, I think that I I've seen them used for like sign writing and stuff like that. It's a. It's like a long stroke of a. Well, the the sign writing version of the rigger tends to have a flat edge mm. so you can do lettering work yeah. but the rigger it comes from doing the rigging on ships ah, right. and the idea is that you can do these lovely long lines wow. without your paint running out yeah if you use a normal round brush then you run the risk of you get it halfway through a brush stroke and then hang on it's running out of paint yeah where a rigger because it's longer it's carrying more, more color yeah and then you can do longer lines so it's Simple as that, but that's where it comes from. I never from. thought of that. I doing, never thought of that. Doing that's the I like that one. I, you know, because I've I've got a couple of riggers, but I don't really use them that much. Um, use I tend to use them for getting into hard to reach places because yeah. the brush is is longer without. Because um, occasionally with the the metal bit is the fenugreek ferrule ferrule. Um, occasionally that will scratch. Uh, a model if you're trying to get into something yeah, so I will tend yeah. to use riggers for, for like a telescopic paintbrush if you like to yeah. get into well for some people mm. the, 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 the rigger the full rigger can be a little bit unwieldy yeah. so we do a, an in between brush mm. which is called a half rigger yeah. it's a little bit shorter and it just makes life easier for some people mm. so much of it is personal preference yeah. and I think at this stage you've, I, I, while I remember the, there is yeah, the, well, the rule of thumb with any brushes, it is personal preference. Yeah. I see brushes, you, you create a brush to do a certain thing, mm. and you see someone using it to do something <laughs> completely different. So it's fluid. It's yeah. you know, Ultimately, it's a brush. It, it, it's a sort of tactile product that you can use pretty much for whatever you want. I mean, I've seen watercolour painters use bristle brushes. Right. That's a rarity. Yeah. But... For some people, that works. And, and, and whereas a sable isn't normally associated mm. for oil painting, I've come across people that love sables for oil painting. So yeah. there are these crossovers. Mm. So it's very much you know how a brush, how yeah. you can use a brush and how it works for you. Um, and then going through, the th there's, there's loads of stuff that seems to be like little sort of variations on. So there was like the sword... The sword liner is a glorified rigger, yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's a lovely brush. It just enables you to carry a lot more colour than a rigger. Yeah. And because of the sword shape, you can do the, the, the long fine lines as you would with a rigger, mm. but you can do these lovely sort of oblique lines as well. Yeah. And it, it, they're great because silk painters and people like that mm. can use them effectively, as I say, because of the volume of paint that they can they, carry. They, they kind of fan out, don't they? To have a larger area? Well, it's got a large 
what they call a belly area and then mm. because of the sword shape mm. it comes to a very very fine point at the tip mm. so you can paint long 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 fine lines mm. and if you just want to use it for fine lining you can the beauty of it is if you press harder it'll give you a thicker line yeah. so you can uh, vary that that mm. brush stroke if you will yeah but if you paint, so you can almost paint sideways to create these lovely leaf effects and mm. things like that. So. Oh, superb. Um, a chisel edge. A chisel edge is quite simply a flat brush again. But some with pe a finer some point. People call them, some people call them a flat. Some mm. people call them a one stroke. Some people call them a chisel. Yeah. But it, effectively, it's a flat, it's a flat brush yeah. that just comes to a, a sharp a sharp. When you when you look at it down one plane, it's a sharp point along right. the tip. Ah, yeah. But you've got you've got you you'll probably come onto this, and I'm probably preempting it. Mm. But there is one called an angled chisel yeah. or an angled flat. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's just variations on a flat brush. Yeah. So whether it's an angle or a chisel, to all intents and purposes, they're very much the same thing. Yeah. But the so but the vast majority of, of your sales then are those the round the flat and the filbert they're the three yeah. big they're the three big, big ones. ones yeah um and then everything else has its place and some people find weird places to use those things that they weren't originally designed for absolutely absolutely <laughs> and all and all praise to them because um i think with with art whatever it is whether it's a picture or a model everyone has their own style and sometimes part of that style is using a brush that might not other people might not use absolutely i mean we've been off and done art shows uh and it's by, by talking to people and seeing the way they paint mm. and some of the ideas that they come up with that you then develop a new products the sword liner was one of them yeah the original one was a, a much shorter version called a dagger brush mm. which is still available now and yeah. it's part of our range but it, it led on to the sword liner because people would say, oh, this is doing a job, yeah. but it's not quite doing what I want it to do. So we create something because mm. of, a, of a need, a requirement yeah. for it. Oh, brilliant. Um, so we'll move on then to um, the materials that things are made from. Um, and reading through the About Pro Art on your uh, website, um, the development of Proline was part of the company's development as well. Yep. So just talk to us about the the natural and the synthetic sort of barrier first before we go into the more detailed areas of the different types of those two. Well, proline was the big synthetic breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, back in the 70s when my father started, as I said before, it was all natural material, mm. sable, squirrel, bristle, pony hair, that sort of yeah. thing for, 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 for the for the different brushes. Mm. There was no such thing as synthetics. And then synthetics were developed, I suppose, as, as a result of the clothing industry. The, the, the polyester filaments that yeah. we may see on fleece jackets and things are made at, from a very, very minutely fine material, which is woven, spun, or whatever mm. it's done with. But someone at some point obviously came up with the idea that if they produce a thicker grade, then it would have different uses mm. in, in the, whether it be the artist brush or the paint brush in general mm. industry. So obviously synthetics were developed from polyester filament. Now the hard part of 
producing that, which I still don't fully understand today. Mm. We buy our hair from hair manufacturers, through brokers, through all sorts of channels. But a, a, a piece of uh, polyester fibre mm. that's just cut into lengths is of no use at all. Yeah. Each fibre has got to contain a point. Quite how that's achieved, I'm still not entirely sure. So, yeah, what are the secrets? But well, it's, well, it is one of the secrets. Uh, anyway, we buy we buy hair in 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 bundles, usually fifty millimeters or up to seventy millimeters for the larger brushes, mm. and it's it's beautiful quality and it's all tipped. Originally, it was all produced in Japan. Synthetics were the big breakthrough mm. because up until then you only had uh, traditional hair. Yeah. And the problem is good quality artist brushes, squirrels a little bit soft, great for watercolorists, mm. uh, for, for wash work. But if you wanted to do detail work, it's a bit softer squirrel. Mm. So that's where Sable is a better product to use mm. because it contains a, a better spring mm. and better working properties. But it's very, very expensive. Yeah. So, so synthetics, you know, it was groundbreaking because mm. it, 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 it gave us, for the first time, a viable alternative mm. at, a, at a much, much less expensive. And is there a, a higher level of consistency with the synthetics? Because obviously your, your sables and your squirrels are coming from animals um, yeah. and every animal is different. So whereas the pro the proline is coming from a synthetic process, so is there is is it more consistent? It's totally consistent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some some of the the, the natural hair it depends upon climate as well. So mm. high end Kalinsky sable is essentially from the the real cold regions of the earth and. If if one season is colder than another, then that means the hair has more spring, more resilience. As the climate's warming up, then the quality, sadly, mm. is is declining. But the beauty is with synthetics, since they were developed, that they they're actually improving all the time. Yeah. So yeah. so, in answer to your question, absolutely. Yeah, because a synthetic is a technological advance, isn't it? Rather yeah. than yeah, us as humans searching for an animal with the right type of hair to paint with. That's, so, why, that's why we love synthetics, because they are consistent. Uh, and, and, and yeah, from an ethical point of view, it's great. It enables us to produce something that, that then the customer has the choice. If they want a sable, they can buy mm. a sable. But if they're vegan or whatever, mm. or then they can go for the mm. uh, the synthetics. So it's lovely to be able to give that yeah, choice. Yeah, that choice. So there's different, there's uh, Kalinsky Sable, Pure Sable, Renaissance Sable I've picked up from your ranges. There's so many different uh, ranges uh, of Sable. <laughs> well, we called, we gave Renaissance Sable yeah. its name because there was a Renaissance. Sable had been so expensive for so many years. And then as a result, the uh, of, of synthetics becoming more and more prevalent then it, it i suppose there was a glut in the sable market mm. because people had stopped using sables to yeah. the degree that they used to use uh, and, and were moving towards synthetics so the price of sable came down massively and we were able to procure some good stocks of sable at a very very affordable price mm. so we were able to i suppose reinvent sable as it, mm. as it were because our original ranges had become very very expensive and and and, and we'd basically stopped selling them 
so, so yeah, when, when we re relaunched Renaissance, it was a renaissance uh, of, yeah. of, of, of the market, the sable yeah. market. But so it's not it's not like fifteenth century sable that you found it aware of no. somewhere <laughs> in Italy or something like that. No, I'm sure that would have all been moth eaten, <laughs> flea bitten. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it's great. It's great to see them. Uh, you know, the the renaissance of of sable brushes, and, and many well, many. Well, aren't... there isn't really a renaissance anymore, yeah. unfortunately, because mm. sable again more recently. I mean, we launched renaissance probably about 15 years ago mm. but within the last three years sable and squirrel prices have rocketed again. again to a, an alarming degree uh, so as a result of that it's it's made us you know go back to the drawing board mm. and look at further alternatives a lot of painters will um, insist on sable brushes um, and obviously that's their personal preference is there a huge difference between the two types, a good quality synthetic and a good quality sable? I don't think so. Yeah. Some people will swear by sable. And in all honesty, Windsor & Newton have had this, this remarkable record for their Windsor & Newton Series 7 Series brush. 7, yeah. It's a magnificent brush. Mm. Uh, and I'll openly say that. They procure that, that hair, they dress it themselves. Everything about it is a lovely brush. People do tell me that the quality has declined, and that's mm. not Windsor's fault. That's probably because of a warming planet. But but not only, well, they're also facing the same problems that we are with procuring mm. good quality sable. It's very difficult. So it, it's made the prices absolutely mm. unbearable. A, a, a Series 7 brush, I think the starting price is about 20 Five yeah, pounds for the, for the smallest cheap. brush. Yeah, they're horrendously expensive, mm. but as I say, they are very, very good, good quality. Mm. But coming back to the synthetic, I actually prefer using a synthetic brush as opposed to a sable, mm. particularly on, you know, the smaller sizes up to, let's say, a size three or size four. I, I, I prefer the, the synthetic because I just find it more manageable. It, it'll carry a similar amount of color. I think the, the beauty of Sable is, it's when you get onto the larger sizes, they'll carry a lot more color than a synthetic brush and they'll give you a softer, smoother coverage. I think if you're doing base coating work and, and, and background work, mm. that's brilliant. However, there are flats available to do a lot of that work at a much cheaper price than buying a big expensive sable. Yeah. So I think the days of sable are numbered unless the prices drop yeah. massively yeah. because they have gone up alarmingly over the last few years. Yeah. But I think the law there's always going to be that group of artists who will always insist on you know the world. I, I I've used I've used Sable, I've used proline, uh, you know, synthetics, all different types of brushes over the years. And I've got to be honest and say, I can't tell a massive difference between the two at no, all. No. Um, the sables I occasionally think... last a little bit longer, but is that because I'm really cleaning it? Because I've say, spent a bloody it's fortune probably on it. Because you're taking care of them. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm never going to get, I don't know, what, two, three times more. Um, use from a, a sable than I am from you know spending the equivalent amount on synthetic brushes. I don't think I'm ever going to reach that point. No. They last maybe a few months longer. 
So, yeah, it's an interesting one that some people do hang on to that. I must have Sable, I must have Sable. Yeah, yeah, I still come across that. Yeah. And again, it's down to personal preference, and, mm. and that's that's absolutely fine. Um, we, he, talks about, he talks about squirrel, and I wasn't aware that squirrel was a brush type. Yeah, yeah, a lot of wash brushes are yeah. used, are used or, or squirrel is used yeah. for, for many of the high-end wash brushes. I never, I never thought of that. I, I take it that's grey squirrel rather than No, they don't use it. Again, <laughs> grey squirrel would be absolutely useless. We live in too warm a climate yeah. here. Uh, there's Canadian blue squirrel or yeah. Russian Kazan squirrel right. that's available. But again, as I say, the costs have gone up. Goat hair is a very right. good substitute. We now, we've, we've had goat hair mops in our range for a long time mm. again there's different qualities but uh, w w there's a there's a round uh, wash brush which is a very basic brush which does a really good job for background wash work and then there's a much better brush that we use as an alternative to to pure squirrel which works mm. nearly as well it's a much higher grade quality yeah. of goat hair and that's made in a traditional quill-style mop. Uh, so there are substitutes and alternatives yeah. available. Um, a little bit of an in-joke from the podcast that you won't be aware of, but um, one of uh, my friends, Sean, he likes to spend no more than £2 on a set of six brushes. Um, and <laughs> Good we, luck to him. <laughs> yeah, and we've, we've suggested that they might be made from rat hair. So as, as rat hair ever come across as a potential use for, for brushes? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> Maybe the rat's tail. Yeah, yeah um, Sean's allergic to spending money on brushes. I was going to say, he'll never get a decent range of brushes for £2. No. He might buy a couple of brushes for £2. He gets through them very quickly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why he gets through very quickly. <laughs> um, also in your range, you've got lots of different types of synthetics. Um, I've written down here, Polar Nylon, Prolon. Sabine, acrylics, sterling acrylics, um, bristling. How do they differ? Well, they differ basically because they, 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 you're using different grades of fibre for different purposes. Mm. So the, the acrylics and the sterling acrylics will use much heavier grade mm. synthetic hair because it needs to be stiffer. So it'll c carry the, the, the heavier filaments for oil yeah. painting. Mm. And, and a lot of people... Well, oil painting is is more of a traditional thing. Acrylics have become quite big in the marketplace now. But acrylics is very versatile because it can be thinned to pretty much mm. whatever consistency an artist wants. But using sort of thick, heavy impasto acrylic, heavy body acrylic, mm. it can be used just like an oil paint. Yeah. And a lot of people prefer that because it dries mm. much faster than oil paint. Yeah. But But essentially those those grades of, of synthetic fibre are used for the for the heavier grade paint. And then you've got your softer proline brushes, which were originally developed for watercolour painting. Right. Yeah. You've got your you've got your again, well bristling is a similar thing to the to the acrylics. That's that's a heavier grade developed mm -hmm. for the uh, the oil painter. And then you, you the the more modern sabine, that's a Another more modern development, it's, it's a step further, I suppose, from proline. Proline still has and will always have a place in its own right mm. because just because of the way it's blended, we use 
three different filaments that we blend together and we blend them in different mixers depending on the brush size. Right. So you may get some sizes of brushes that have one blend. As you move up the range, it may have another blend. Back in the early days when synthetics were first developed, a lot of brush manufacturers thought, right, we'll grab that, that, that grade and mm. we'll make certain sizes from it. And they work to a certain degree. But what we recognised is that natural hair is all has different thickness mm. filaments. Yeah. So we we thought right if we start mixing different grades together, mm. it'll create different amounts of air pockets within yeah. the brush, yeah. which are good for colour holding, yeah. and it gives the brush a, a, a softer feel than just using you know the same grade yeah. right the way through a brush. So that was how proline was developed. But since then, obviously, new synthetic materials have become available. One is a particular development that was done for the cosmetic industry and they call it wave synthetic oh, right. and what they've done they've created instead of the filament being absolute straight as a die mm. it's got various twists and turns oh, right. and bends within within the fiber so when you group fibers together it creates even bigger air pockets mm. and that's where sabling comes in right. what we managed to do is is use some wave synthetic mixed with normal synthetic and again we vary it throughout the range but by using the wave synthetic mm. it creates a, a bigger more bulbous shape like a sable brush right. so so when you look at that brush it's got a, a traditional what we call a belly on there mm. that will when it when you when it protrudes out of the ferrule before it comes to a point it'll have a thicker belly mm. which enables it to hold a lot more color than a normal synthetic so it's taken synthetics to a, a, a higher level again so we're kind of we're kind of getting a crossover there in between as was the name would suggest between a sable and a exactly. synthetic exactly yeah so they're, they're doing kind of part of the job that a sable would do within well, a synthetic well that's right well back in the the the, the early days of, of synthetics when when only really sable and squirrel and natural hair was available then that was the time we developed proline because we realized we had to create a viable alternative as well as we possibly could mm. to satisfy the needs of, of watercolor paint so that was then since uh, Pro proline has been developed i mean we're on probably um mark four grade of <laughs> right, proline yeah. now you know we nothing stands still mm. you keep developing certain products when you come up with new ideas mm. but with as i say because of recent developments and because of the recent cost of sable and squirrel mm. going outrageously expensive mm. and through the roof we thought right we've got to we've got to try again we've got mm. to take this thing even further and we sat down with our hair suppliers and we discussed different mm. synthetics that had come onto the market and as I say, we were able to produce something that now mm. resembles a sable better than ever before. So yeah. it, 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 it's good that, that we can take that mm. further and give people these alternatives. Yeah. So no, it's good to see. Yeah. Um, good to see that everything is, is continuously developing. Um, and the one thing, the one I've got left is hog. Is it actually hog hair? It comes from a pig. It's bristle hair. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well. That, Sable, sable and squirrel hair will always be frowned upon mm. because of, I suppose, you don't kill those animals for food. No. It, it's, yeah. it's, 
I think the misconception is that people will see people flaunting themselves in London or mm. wherever with, with animal furs on. So it's very much frowned upon yeah. because we don't need fur coats in, in, yeah. in this country. And yet, in Siberia, Outer Mongolia, mm. indigenous people kill these animals for fur. And, and the tail of the animal is where the longer lengths of hair mm. come from. Yeah. So back in the day, it was known as furrier's waste. Mm. So, so brush makers would come along and instead of it being thrown away, then it be, then became a marketable yeah, product. Yeah. So that's how brushes would be made. They'd be made from the tail of an mm. animal. Pig bristle, goat hair, these animals are being killed for food. People may not agree with animals being killed full stop, but yeah. at the end of the day, we're making the use of a byproduct. So every part of that animal will be used. And in hog hair, is that like a stippling brush? Because yeah, I would imagine it's quite Again, it's a, coarse, it's a coarse, stiff filament. Mm. So that would be used as an oil painting brush. That's how it would be, have been developed. Mm. Long handle oil painting brushes, again, yeah. to cope with the, the thicker, heavier paints. Yeah. But like you say, with stippling, Bristle, bristle is used, uh, yeah, for stippling brushes, mm. uh, stencil brushes, all that type of thing. Something that can take a bit of, bit of hammer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a course. It's a course. If you filament. do that with your sable brush, you're not doing it any favours. No. Are you? <laughs> and then, then the final, final bit about the brush making itself then is, is the handles. Um, are you all wood? Do you use plastic? We've uh, never used plastics. Yeah. It is all wood. Some people don't like the fact that forests are being cut down, but mm. we don't want to use plastics. So we, we, we use, there's a company that we use in actual fact in Germany mm. for all our brush handles, mm. and it's all certificated, so it comes from sustainable yeah. forest. And, and, and different types of wood has been used mm. over the years, uh, de depending on the, I suppose, the council that say, right, well, we can't use ramen. Ramen was a very straight-grained wood. Mm. And then that was taken away from the marketplace yeah. and, and it was replaced by, I think, birch wood at the moment. Mm. But once it's all lacquered and, and, and finished, there's something about the weight of wood that gives you that nice sort of feel in the hand. Yeah, I think I, it probably won't sound after you, but to, it, um, I, it feels like it breathes. Yeah. When, when, I, when I'm painting, if I have occasionally had a plastic handle brush and it feels like my hand's sweating. Yeah. Whereas when I'm yeah. using wood, it feels as if it's breathing. If you if natural you like. materials yeah. as much as we can. Yeah. But as I say, it's a changing world, and uh, mm. yeah, never say never. But uh, we've seen plastic handled brushes in the education sector, and they're pretty dreadful. Really. <laughs> yeah. It's going to put those young kids off art for years, isn't maybe, it? Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> um, most of your brushes are. Um, or the, the handles are kind of the, the straight, maybe with a slight curving, but you do some other styles of handles. Some, some I've seen like a pen, like a square. Yeah. So what's, what's the thinking behind the, the handle shape? Well, much of the handle shape is just the feel in the hand. Mm. Uh, as you go down to a, a 10-0 brush, you can't give... <laughs> the handle much of a shaping uh, as you get onto a bigger watercolor brush a big mm. size 12 or a 16 it's got a lovely feel in the hand mm. and it's sort of shaped with a curve that that will give you that that yeah. nice nice sort of ergonomic feel 
But m more recently, we came up with an idea for the miniature painter mm. and model painter that they may want something that's, uh, that they can sort of grab hold mm. of. And we created a, a, what we call a tri-grip yeah. uh, handle brush. Uh, and that just gives just, just gives the, the handle a little bit more of a feel yeah. uh, and something to get hold of. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, now we've gone into quite some detail about what the brushes are made of. Um, so I want to talk a little bit, if we can, about uh, development and um, your brushes are used for a wide range of things. Um, so yeah, I've, I've seen this some for cake decorating, uh, obviously model makers, watercolour, oil artists, you name it, people are using the brushes. So how do you find out what each of those individual disciplines require from a brush and how do you then bring that into production? Well, we don't really. What we do, we focus on manufacturing quality products. Mm. There are so many crossovers with brushes. If we produce a size, well, whatever size, it doesn't mm. matter. If a paint, if a cake decorator can use that brush, great. If a, if a model painter can utilise mm. that brush, great. War gamers, nail artists, mm. you name it. <laughs> yeah. Ceramic painters, glass painters. People use brushes for so many different things. So it's very difficult to pigeonhole certain products for certain things. As long as we produce that product to a high standard, mm. then you know the idea is that it can be utilized by all these people. Yeah. Do you work with um, individual artists or do artists come to you with ideas? Uh, you know, like you can, if you're a guitar player, you can buy an Eric Clapton signature Fender Stratocaster. Um, you know, could you buy a Yorkshire Gamer branded you know, um, paintbrush? You know, are, do you work with artists? Yes, we do. There's, there's quite a bit of that that goes yeah. on. You know, we manufacture brushes uh, with, with, with their name on. So, yeah. It's, so yeah, it strengthens their name. We, we do uh, a, a brand of brushes that we market for the mail order people. So mm. we're able to, uh, it's a bit like the supermarket own branding, if you will. Yeah. You know, it might be made by a big company, but we all know who it's made by. Yeah. And, uh, but it's got Morrison's or Asda's yeah. name on it. You know, <laughs> we, we have a range of brushes that we market for, for mail order companies where we can p put their name on the handle. Right. Uh, but we do it for individual artists. We do it for all sorts of people. So we do we do sort of private label and, and own branding. Yeah. And we've done that for quite some time. Yeah. It was one of the questions I was going to ask, actually, where, you know, is there a, uh, like an Asda Cornflakes equivalent <laughs> with, with, with uh, Pratt? So you do do that for, uh, for other companies? If they, if we do. We do. Yeah. As long as the demand is there. We can't just be doing half a dozen brushes, yeah. <laughs> you know, for a certain guy who wants his, fancies yeah. his name on. Yeah. You know, there are, there are limitations because of, yeah. you know, all the, the different print processes mm. and, and so on and so forth. But we can personalise things if the demand is there. And, and developments then in terms of new technology, how do you hear, do you hear about that through your suppliers? I think you talked about earlier on with your brush suppliers about new um, materials to use and then do you test them out when when you you hear about them exactly yeah every now and again 
as I say, the most important part is the hair supply. That's where mm. you generally is the starting point of creating a new brush. Mm. So I may have a hair supplier that comes to me and says, right, we've got this new new hair. Can you use it? Mm. And we'll test it out and try it out. And yeah. hence things like Sabaline and Brisseline. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, very mm. much. It's very much an ongoing process. There, there is that scenario where if you're not careful, you can just produce brushes for the sake of it. And we yeah. try not to go down that route. Mm. We, we, we generally look at the scenario and if there's a need or a requirement for mm. a, either a new brush or a new style of brush, mm. then we'll, we'll pursue it and put it into the marketplace. But we don't just create ranges of brushes for the sake of it. Otherwise, we'd have so many colour combinations mm. and you can go on forever and, and there's no merit in that. One of the nice things that ProArt do um, is that you produce sets of brushes as well as being able to buy them individually in shops. So you can go in and, and pick a, you know, four or five brushes in a in a normally in like a plastic wallet. Um, was that something that you drove, or was that from from customers? And, and what's the idea behind it? It's probably something that's always been around to to, to some degree, mm. but it's a starting point for for people. If they're not quite sure what to buy, mm. then a brush set makes uh, it makes their mind up. It's mm. a perfect opportunity. And usually, when you buy a brush set, it comes with a saving. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you buy them all individually, uh, yeah. you'll pay a bit more than buying the brush yeah. set. And this but, is Yorkshire, after all. We're all about saving money. Well, everyone <laughs> likes to save a bit of money. But, but we, again, we don't do sets for the sake of it. All our prestige lines. Rangers will will carry a brush set that that showcases that particular range. So we've got uh, probably something like fifteen different alternatives mm. uh, that 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 mirror our best-selling product ranges. And then we've got what we call a back-to-school, back-to-college range, which are sort of budget products, yeah. which which are very nice quality products, but mm. they're targeted at students, students and beginners. So we sell a lot of the the uh, the back-to-school ranges. And we've got a few craft sets uh, and, and, and one or two of the, the sort of supermarket own brand style yeah. where we can put uh, the dealer's name on there, that, which mm. gives the dealer a bit of kudos as yeah. well. So brush sets are very much an important part of our business. Mm. Perfect. The plastic caps on the end, do you supply them? Because sometimes you go into an art shop and there's like five brushes and one of them's got a cap on. We don't. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we don't supply them. We do, we do, we put them on yeah. when we're manufacturing, or it's part of the finishing off process. Mm. When we've when we've manufactured a, br a brush, mm. uh, gummed it and pointed it and shaped <laughs> it, we want to protect. Yeah. It's really the round brushes because it's the it's the tip of the brush that yeah. you need to protect. Yeah. So we put a clear brush protector on. Now, what happens when they get to the shops? Many retailers will take them off mm. and 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 usually store them somewhere so if you're buying a brush and it doesn't have a brush protector on ask the retailer if they've still got it and, and, and it if should, it can be replaced it should be around what tends to happen is they a, a, a customer might be browsing they may take the cap off and then they'll flick the brush, have a look at it, test test it out, and then decide that that not, isn't necessarily the brush that they want to buy. Yeah. So in endeavour to replace the cap, 
they shove the cap down onto <laughs> the bristles or the, seen that or so the fibers many times. and it does so much damage then it can create some real problems so yeah this is why much of the time dealers will actually remove the caps yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't get damage the brushes. But as far as you're concerned, Peter, they're leaving here with a cap on. Absolutely. And, and they're right when they leave here. Uh, they're right when they leave <laughs> yeah. here. That's, that's that's what it's all about. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's very confusing for, uh, or can be very confusing for somebody new to painting in whatever style. Um, so what would you say to somebody who's coming along and looking? I mean, I've got a, there's a big um, show stand in front of me here with all the different paintbrushes on. Is there any advice you would give to somebody to say, try this one first and then kind of move on from there? Well, but, but people, when they're starting, they generally have an idea which medium that they want to paint in. Yeah. Acrylic nowadays tends to be a very, very popular one. But as I've said before, Acrylic can encompass a, a, a big range. Mm. You, from right, you can thin it right down to thin watercolour, yeah. or you can use it heavy in pasto. Mm. So, I tend to sort of look at it. There's two two main styles of painting. Mm. That's your your, your, your oil colour, your oil painting, where you're using thick heavy paint, or you're using a sort of watercolour brush for 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 either watercolour painting mm. or inks or or thin down uh, mm. acrylic paints so people generally would know what they want now if if they're faced with one of our big brush units then we've got labeling on there that will tell them it will tell them whether it's an oil brush yeah. or a watercolour brush mm. and the rule of thumb is a watercolour brush uses a much softer fiber than, than an oil brush so you generally can't go far wrong. And the mm. nice thing is dealing with small or independent art shops where most of our brushes are sold, there is a, a retailer knowledge. Mm. Most art shop owners will make sure that their staff are fully versed and mm. fully understand the, the products available. So yeah. never, never worry, just ask yeah. for a bit of advice uh, if yeah. you're not sure. But uh, yeah. there is information on the displays. I think, I think that's really good advice actually to actually ask people. Absolutely. Um, because from my experience, years and years of going into art shops, the people in there are generally lovely people who yeah. are artists themselves and they will give you a pointer on the type of brush and you know, all the things that we've spoken about today about the different materials the different um, shapes of the brushes what they do there will give you the advice on all that so absolutely uh, and if in doubt at the end of the day we've always got a website exactly you know we, we, we keep it fairly simple fairly straightforward but there's a drop down list that give give all the watercolor ranges mm. give all the different oil acrylic mm. ranges and then there's the hair types so it's got various filters so if mm. you're searching for a particular brush you should be able to navigate your way through. Brilliant. We're just coming towards the end now, but there's one thing that I want to talk about before we finish off. Um, and that's, um, and it, this sounds like a, a really bad documentary on Discovery Channel. Um, when brushes go wrong. <laughs> 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 so, um, oh, this is the worst bit. <laughs> this is the worst bit, yeah. So, you know. No one ever likes to blame themselves. No, That's what happens. Yeah, I, I, I so um, <laughs> Go on. just from 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 your kind of knowledge then and, and, and experience, the, the the things that tend to go wrong with brushes 
um, from what people have told me and from also from my own experience is that you will get to a stage where you lose the point. Yeah. Um, so how does that come about? What's the good way to try and stop it? I'm not sure there is a good way to try yeah. and stop it because when you use any product, yeah. then a brush, you're wearing it out. More often than not, a brush that has lost its point is worn out. Now, the smaller the brush, the faster that's going to wear out because mm. there's less resistance because you've got a much smaller amount of fibre there. There are various mitigating factors that will cause a brush to wear out. If you're painting on a coarse surface, that's mm. going to make a brush wear out faster. If you're painting with not a lot of fluid in the brush, a dry brush technique, that's going to make a brush wear out much, yeah. much quicker. Uh, some people adopt a sort of scrubbing technique. Yeah. <laughs> that, that can make a brush wear out. So yeah, you know, br you know, don't ever buy a brush thinking it's going to last forever because it won't. Uh, no. Now, depending on the way that you look after it, you can lengthen its life. But but yeah, it, it is very much down to how you use a brush, how often you use a brush, how many hours a day you're using that yeah. brush. There are so many variables mm. that you know. Often it's just simply questions that I cannot answer. Sometimes you'll get a you'll get a brush where the the, the tip curls. Is there any reason for that? Is, or again, is that just use? again? Much of it will be use wear and tear. Mm. What tends to happen with a, a, a synthetic brush as opposed to a sable brush? Sable is a much softer material. Mm. So you'll, you'll lose that point quite quickly on a sable mm. brush. I remember back in, again, as a youngster, you know, while the graphic industry was still vibrant, we used to send a lot of sable brushes out. Uh, our 2A sable, it's a long elongated point because mm. a graphic designer would want a brush to carry colour but with a very, very long, sharp, steeple-shaped mm. point. Uh, and they'd use a brush maybe for half an hour or an hour and bin it because wow. they'd, they'd worn the point out, wow. because they, they're, they're using this very, mm. very fine point. But so, so sable, would wear, sable tends to wear out, whereas synthetics wear out of shape. What tends to happen is you're using a synthetic brush, you're, you're thinning the, the, the tip of the brush, but because it's a much harder fibre than sable, instead of it actually wearing away, it wears out of shape, right. and, and often that can be the reason for, the, mm. for a, a hook or yeah. at the end of the tip. Now, in its, in its infancy, you can actually restore that tip by dipping it in very, very hot or even boiling water. Mm. And that, that can also resolve certain problems with synthetic brushes, where if you've left them in the drawer and the tip's got damaged or someone's re replaced a, a protective cap and it's kinked all the ferrule, all mm. the... The, the, the fibres back, then then it's like magic. You can put it yeah. in hot water and it brings it back to a very, very sharp point. Oh, right. yeah. But when a brush is excessively worn, that that technique won't necessarily yeah. resolve the problem because it's, it's all down to natural wear and tear. Are there any good tips for, um, most of the people listening to this will be using acrylic paint. Is there any good tips for cleaning brushes? Well, most of the time when people come to me and say, oh, uh, I've got a problem with my brush, the first question I ask them is, 
Are you using acrylic paint? I don't say what sort of paint are you yeah. using. I say, I bet your life you're using acrylic paint. And more mm. often than not, they'll mm. say, yes, I am. Yeah. And that's because acrylic paint dries so quickly, which is great if you want it to dry on the product that mm. you're painting. The only drawback is while it's drying on the brush, it, it's, <laughs> it's causing the brush a problem yeah. because it dries in in particularly in the ferrule pigment builds up in the base of the the fiber and it and it and it causes the brush to split so when you're using a brush particularly with with the acrylic paint is make sure the brush is always kept wet mm. probably the tip ideally immersed in water mm. you can buy certain uh oh it's like a cleaning product a, a cleaning uh, is it brush soap no, you might have to edit this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think what they call it. It's like a container that, that you can put your brush in so the brush head is immersed ah, in right, water. Okay, yeah. So that helps. But but yeah, it, basically what tends to happen is, as I say, because it dries a lot faster, mm. once acrylic paint actually sets, you can't unset it. Yeah. So it damages the brush forever. Mm. But But more often than not, when people come to me, with a, a, a problem, it's because the, the, a lot of it is down to cleaning. Uh, pigment builds up in the base of the ferrule yeah. and, and it stops the brush from pointing. It, it makes the brush, it seems to build a pressure up mm. in the bottom and the brush fibers start to split. So cleaning, not just at the end of use, probably cleaning during use is, is good. Keep washing the brushes out as much as possible. Yeah. But particularly at the end, one of the most important things, and it's harder on a very, very tiny brush, is to basically get hold of a brush, get hold of the fibre, and actually knead the, mm. the, the, the pigment out of the base of the ferrule. Yeah. So if it's a substantial brush, you can get hold of the fibre yeah. much easier than a, yeah. than a, than a 10-zero <laughs> brush. So usually with the tiny brushes, yeah. you've just got to sort of wash, wash away yeah. in the water. But it's basically... One of the main causes of a brush causing mm. problems is, is build-up of pigment in the base of the ferrule. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly the problem that I've come across most over the years when I've had problems with brushes. Um, what is, what's your, your views on brush soap then? Some people think it's a waste of time, some people use it religiously. Well, I, I hear some very good reports. There yeah. is one out there called Master's Brush Soap. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an American product, and everybody seems to swear by it. Yeah, I use that. It's, yeah, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, it yeah, really yeah. Is good. So, if it prolongs the length of the life of a brush, I think it possibly, as well as cleaning, it, it possesses something that maybe gives the brush a bit of a coating, mm. maybe a bit like a fabric conditioner or yeah. something like that. So, uh, you know, I've heard reports that it just gives it. A nicer feel, mm. probably a silkier, softer feel than than, or it puts a bit of life back into it. Yeah, I've I nothing against that yeah, at all. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of it. I have to say. Yeah. Um, so final question then. Thank you very much for we've been going for an hour and a half. So Gosh. thank you very much <laughs> for your time. Um, and and it's just really what's the what's the future for Pro Art? What 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 are we looking at in the future? the company well who knows who knows who knows things not, as my father used to say you know nothing lasts forever things are always changing as far as i'm concerned you know we're doing well as a business mm. we keep plugging away and, and yeah. it's important to keep a focus and to to, to remain where we are we're specialists yeah that was that was our original intention 
not to get bogged down with other products, to stick with brushes, to specialise and to do a job properly. Yeah. And if we can continue to do that, then I'll be a happy man. Yeah. If you if you're leading in your if you're leading in the area of business, don't muck about with all the stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just not worth it's always it. been our ethos. Stick yeah. with what we know. Yeah. Uh, uh, we haven't yeah got got real sort of feelings of grandeur as such as long as we're giving people good product at good price mm. then that's what it's all about lovely yeah. so um well that just leaves me to say thank you very much peter really appreciate you taking the time talking to me today um and at the end of the show i just uh, say good night to all my listeners so if you could say good night Good night, everybody. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. So there we go. Uh, that's uh, paintbrushes. We now are all experts in paintbrushes, and we all know that we need to buy them from ProArt. Uh, so available at all your uh, local uh, art shops. Uh, keep an eye out for them. They really are. They, they have been my go-to brush since I was um, in my late teens, and I am now 55. Uh, and I've dipped in and tried other things, but for the for the price they are for me the best value uh, around and i've been looking to do this interview for a long time and i'm so glad that i've got it done and i'm just kind of pushing the boundaries pushing those envelopes a, a little bit uh, with some of the subject matter that i you know that i cover that maybe you, you know you're not hearing on on other podcasts i want to try and get as much different content as i possibly can uh, so thank you peter and uh, hopefully uh, you'll see a big spike in your uh, sales as a result of this. Uh, so that just means uh, I'm going to mention very briefly the next episode, episode 49, and I'm going to be speaking with uh, one of the big rule writers in the hobby, and that's Dave Brown. Uh, Dave's got many different rule sets out. He's got a long history of writing stuff for the larger size game, uh, so he's a perfect guest for this show, and uh, I think he's General D'Arme two rules are out soon so i'm sure we'll catch up uh, with him about that and many other things does he like avocado tune in in a couple of weeks time and we'll find out until then see they.